Hey team, it's Timbo here. Before the marketing gold comes raining down on us all, the Small Business Big Marketing Show is brought to you by Web Central and Design Crowd, two businesses that care deeply, very deeply about your marketing. You know, I've worked in or on marketing all my life, some 27 years, <laughs> but who's counting? And if there's one thing I know for sure, design plays an integral role in ensuring a business stands out and gets noticed. Back in my day, working, back in my day, I should have said, working for Australia's biggest advertising agency, great design and art direction did not come cheaply. In fact, I vaguely remember sending an invoice to a blue chip corporate client for around $5,000 for a business card design. (laughs) Well, it doesn't have to be that way at all. Great design can be beautifully inexpensive. You just need to know the right peeps. So, allow me to introduce you to Design Crowd, an insanely simple and cheap way to get anything designed. And I mean anything, from logos and business cards through to signage and tattoos. Yeah, tattoos. Head to designcrowd.com forward slash Timbo and grab up to $100 off your first project. Hey, speaking of tattoos, how's your online footprint? How's that for a segue? Well, the reality is both are permanent, a tattoo and your online footprint. So you may as well make them good, real good. That's where Web Central comes into play. You see, Web Central are laser-focused on getting all your online marketing sorted to the point that it grows your business. Imagine that. Online marketing that actually gets your customers and grows your business. They'll build you a highly effective website, update it with content each month, and then ensure it gets found on Google and via social media. They've got three exclusive listener packages waiting for you over at webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo. So I was at this awards ceremony the other night at which this fellow's apple cider business got a thunderous round of applause, much louder than some of the other businesses in the same room. So being the curious fellow that I am, I had to find out why. Well, I said, welcome to a small business marketing show. Where successful small business owners share their souls. To take your marketing straight to the lead. Now, here's your host, Mr. Timbo And welcome back to another episode of Australia's number one marketing show. I am your host, Timbo Reed. But you... So much more importantly, you're a motivated business owner, ready to crank out some great marketing to build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. And that is exactly what we do around here. It's pretty much all we do around here, really. Focus on getting your marketing to the point that it is amazing. Hey, uh, if it's your first time here, welcome. Don't be scared. And if it's your 325th time here, which is the episode number, then... Love your work. Thank you. Hey, big show today. Sam Reed, no relation, joins us. He is the co-founder of Willie Smith's Apple Cider, a much-loved, much-loved, I should say, Tasmanian Apple Cider brand. And he's got some solid opinions and ideas around marketing, not only your own brand, but the industry in which you operate as well. Plus, him and his team have just finished putting together a local festival attended by 14,000 people. How's that for a bit of good marketing? Hey, also inside this episode, I share some icebreaker questions that I use during my pre-interview chats, which I thought would help you. And I use them in general when meeting people for the first time. I think they're a lot of fun. They get past the surface and fast track getting to know someone at a much, much deeper level. And I even give you my answers to each of the 10 questions I'm going to share with you. Yep. It gets personal, this one. As per usual, there is marketing G-O-L-D dripping from the ceiling over here at Small Business Big Marketing's HQ. So let's get stuck right in. Coming up after this fireside chat, I share my top 10 favourite questions I use to start interesting conversations. But first, let's get stuck into today's guest, hey? Sam Reed the co-founder of cider brand Willie Smith's. 
I met Sam at the recent Telstra Business Awards in Tasmania. Now, one of my jobs as the MC of those awards was to announce the finalists for each category and read out a short bio about their business. Each business always got a round of applause, as you would expect, although some got a much bigger round of applause than others. Willie Smith Cider got the biggest by far. Quite heartfelt, I must say. So, in kicked my marketing brain. What are they doing that other businesses aren't? What makes them so special? Basically, I was thinking, why all the love for Willie Smith's? So at the end of the night, I suggested Sam come on the show and reveal his secret sauce. Hell yeah, (laughs) was his measured response. So here's Sam Reed, co-founder of Willie Smith's Cider. And I started off by cutting to the chase, asking Sam, why is there so much love for Willie Smith? Well, Tim, you know, first of all, I think we, we make alcohol. So uh, so that's a pretty good <laughs> reason. I think people get uh, yeah. excited about taking great products, exactly. But there's a lot, of, there's a lot of alcohol out there. There is, and we make alcohol out of uh, apples as well. And being uh, Tasmania and the Apple Isle, I think the apple industry is really, uh, you know, people have, have been impacted by the apple industry, either directly or, or through their families. They've all been touched by it in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that so that's another part of it. But I mean, you know, I think the other thing is is about um, what we what we bring to uh, the community where we play. So the Apple Shed, um, we're about having a lot of fun. We recognise it is is a bit of a, it is alcohol. People want to have a drink and want to have a good time and share a social uh, occasion with people. Um, so we have a lot of fun at the Apple Shed, which is our cellar door down in the Huon Valley. Um, and we also, you know, I guess the week before the, the event, we had 14,000 people at our Apple Shed over the course of the weekend <laughs> uh, for the uh, third year of the Huon Valley Midwinter Festival. Which right. Is, uh, so, so we're going to get to all that. But, but I think the summary of that, Sam, is that there's a, there's a real fun element to this brand that embraces a number of things, N- not only, you know, a great product, but it, people and, and festivals and, and all those kind of things that bring it all together, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think we've got to remind ourselves we're not, uh, we're not, you know, s- curing cancer here. We're uh, <laughs> we're making alcohol, and people like to have fun, and with that, and, and so we try and have fun. A social with it. lubricant. That's exactly right. Actually, that's for all of us who aren't down there. Sam, explain the Willie Smiths brand. There's obviously two parts. There's the on-site experience, and then there's the product that we can buy when we're not on site. So maybe just just give us the short version of both, will you? Yeah, sure. Well, um, Willie Smith's uh, Willie Smith is actually um, my business partner's uh, great grandfather. So he started farming in the Huon Valley in uh, in the eighteen hundreds. Um, the first of the Smith family to start orcharding there, uh, and and Andrew is a fourth generation orchardist in the Huon Valley. So we, it's a tip of the hat naming the product to him. Um, it's an organic apple cider which we make on the farm. Andrew grows all the apples on the on the family farm, and we make it there on the farm. Mm-hmm. It's a really uh, unique and different style of cider than is than exists out there in the marketplace at the moment. Um, obviously being organic is a is a key key part of it, but we start we wanted to do something different. We wanted to be true to the organic nature of the apples. Uh, so we looked at a lot of styles from um, northern Europe and settled on the kind of French farmhouse style that we wanted to kind of uh, make in our own Australian or Tasmanian way, I suppose. So so it's a cloudy product. It's got a little bit more body and substance to it than your normal um, than your normal cider. Um, it's got it finishes um, nice and dry, but uh, we also give it a bit of a malolactic ferment, which is Ooh, the up. old malolactic. Yeah, that's I have no right, idea what so. that is, but uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> if you, you, uh, you had me at French farmhouse, by the way. Oh, sorry, I'm getting a bit too technical. <laughs> now. I, I, I can't help it. I, I, I've told the story. That's all right, mate. I know how much you love it, so I'll just pull you back every now and then. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, yeah, so malolactic is ferment is uh, is a d- different um, style as well that the French ciders all naturally go through. Uh, it's what if you drink a Chardonnay, you know, the, a wooded Chardonnay, uh, they've all got that rounded buttery flavour. Oh come on, don't give me the rounded buttery blackcurrant undertones and all that. Is, oh, is that where don't this is talk going? Don't me about blackcurrant. We're hundred percent apple, my friend. So uh, yeah, that's for those buttery uh, undertones. Chinese concentrate guys. What, what do you think? Just just uh, digressing, um, because you know you would know the guys from Vino Mofo, who 
have is that a yes or uh, I actually don't know them. I know you know of them. Though. You know the know brand. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's quite an interesting because those guys have taken the wine industry on head to head in the sense that they're like they don't want to hear the buttery undertone kind of conversation. They just want to drink and enjoy wine. Um, are you on their side? Are you on the the other side of like let's have those kind of um, scientific discussions around cider? Oh, look, I think you've got to enjoy it, right? There's yeah. no doubt about that. And yeah. I think we start off with making a pro- great product that we enjoy drinking and that we love. Um, but obviously how you get there, you've got to get technical, otherwise you're going to just be hit and miss each time. So, yeah, yeah. so the, yes, you, some people want to hear it. Most people probably don't, but um, you've got to do the background. Do you and love think- it? Do you love getting in there and talking like that with your, with your mates? Oh, you know, I think um, – not not overly. I mean, I think Tim, our head cider maker, is much better at doing that than yeah, I am. Right. But um, but I do, I do like understanding the process, and um, you know, I love going and finding out about new different types of ciders and what's what's driving what particular flavour profile and element there, because uh, that's all exciting to me because it opens of up course. N- new opportunities for for new innovation, really. So. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do love to get into it, but, I mean, I don't – not on an everyday basis, I guess, you know. Not on interviews for, with marketing blokes. No, we, that's <laughs> right, exactly. But I want you, you to know that we've gone in and made enough effort so that our, the outcome is a, is a really great product. I so suppose. you've got, you've got um, a great product, a variety of different ciders um, available at Cellador and nationally. Then you've got the on-site experience. So I head down to – the cellar door in the beautiful Hewan Valley outside of Hobart, what am I going to experience? Well, I mean, what you're going to experience, I think, is our brand. So um, it is a 1942-built apple packing shed. Um, so it's filled with all kinds of artefacts and paraphernalia. It once was an old apple and heritage museum, and we thought, you know what, it's a bit dusty, it's a bit crappy, it's kind of the world's biggest junk store. <laughs> what this really needs is a bit of a facelift um, to bring people into it uh, and educate the people about the history of the Huon Valley, um, oh. all the while whilst promoting the, the great quality products and produce we have in the region and giving people a chance to try, you know, our different styles of cider because we understand we're on a journey to educate people. Cider is still only 3% of the total alcohol market in Australia um, wow. versus beer, which is, you know, 42%. Mate, you've got a – that's such an opportunity, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I All you need to do is make it taste more like beer and, and you'll be laughing. <laughs> well, why don't we just make apple beer? Um, <laughs> that's what we tell the Chinese tourists since they uh, don't know what cider is yet. But um, So, yeah, no, there's, uh, there's uh, the, you'll come in and you'll get to try it. You'll get to meet our amazing team. Um, we've got a really strong set of values at Willie Smith's and, um, and I guess, you know, a, a really – engaged team is, is what's really built this brand. Well, can we honest. talk about that? Because that's critical. And I speak to a lot of business owners, big and small, who one of their major complaints, one of the major challenges is team, is people. And we're, we're, we're a complicated bunch, us humans. I've read some um, stuff from team members about the Willie Smith's brand and they love it. They're so proud to work for it. Um, you've got a set of values. How do you... How have you created this culture? Well, I think we've we've created it by letting people add themselves and their own personality to it to a certain extent. We uh-huh. started off with a pretty clear vision of where we want to go and we are really about changing the drinking habits of Australians really because we want people to not only start drinking cider but start drinking cider made from um, yeah, Australian Yeah, 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 but that's, so, so yeah, but come back. What you said earlier was very interesting. So you've said you've got your own set of values but you let them, your individual staff members, bring their own personality to it. That's interesting. How do you how do you do that? Give me an example of someone on your team who does that brilliantly. Oh well, I think um, you know we basically celebrate each other's differences. Um, we know that there's not always going to be one specific way of doing something. You could write procedure manuals for everything, but the reality is, if you've got great people who are really passionate about what they do letting them bring their own personality to mm-hmm. solve a problem and, and do something the way they want to do it is actually really empowering for people. People enjoy that. They don't like necessarily having to follow rules and processes, I believe, that you know they see as superfluous when they know they could probably do a better job doing it the way they want to do it. And more often than not, um, that is the case. And you've got to trust people when you're in small business because mm. – if you try and manage, you know, micromanage everyone, you won't get anywhere because you've got there's too much stuff to do. I mean, we haven't got the time to try and do everyone else's jobs for them. You've really got to empower them to uh, to 
add value to you. Um, you know, that's, I'll give you an example of. I'll give you an example of what I think you're talking about. I'd still like to hear one an example from the Willie Smiths um, team. So I interviewed um, a fellow many many years ago who was part responsible for bringing the Virgin Blue brand to Australia. Right, and what he what he said was first of all he had no problems attracting um, people because it was a brand that people wanted to work for it was a cool youthful brand uh, a fun brand to be amongst a second part of that was for example he did uh, part of their virgin blue culture was to allow their staff to bring part of themselves to work which kind of you know like you can't turn yourself off when you go to work can you but he he quoted the example of a cabin crew member who he just employed she um had to obviously adhere to all the virgin blue standards but in her previous job she was a face painter at kids parties so she was allowed carry her crayons and face paints and when a kid was upset in flight she um was able to go and you know settle him or her down paint his face and, and, you know, and give him a bit of that, that part of her that she loved doing. Yeah, is that yeah. what you're talking about? Yeah, I think it is. It's about finding um, creative solutions to, uh, to help people be the best they can be. I suppose the best example that I can think of off the top of my head would be um, Yuha Parlanen. He was um, one of the original um, managers of the Apple Shed. Um, the Apple Shed's grown out of control <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, this you is know, your cellar door. This is our cellar door, mm. yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and it's grown out of control and he's, you know, wanted to take a step back a little bit. But we know that it – but we obviously want to keep him there. So we've um, kept him there. Uh, and then, you know, he's really, really passionate about his gardening and his mm. garden. Um, so we actually uh, allow him to go and work in his garden. He's working, you know, four days a week for us. Um, so that in summer he can go and tend to his garden and, and you know, grow his own berries and and, uh, and local produce, which we then purchase back from him at the Apple Shed and use. So it doesn't <sighs> get much more local than that. Mate, he's not, that bloke is not going anywhere. You, you've got a staff member for life. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I think so. And we're really lucky to be able to have someone who's that passionate and cares so much as well. And, you know, you show someone a bit of love and respect and they'll give it back to you in spades. I'm, I'm convinced about you know, that. Google do this. Google have a, each Friday, I think they, I can't remember what they call it, but every staff member is allowed to allocate 20% of their working week um, to their own projects um, because Google know that, A, that'll satisfy their whole personal kind of need to do that. And secondly, some of those projects may well become um, part of the Google empire at some point. So um, as, as a business owner, Sam, is that a tough thing to do, to hand over some freedom to your staff or is it just a non-negotiable? It's a really interesting one. I think um, I think it hasn't been particularly tough because I think I've been really focused on wanting to continue new. I, what excites me is new things, Tim. Mm-hmm. Um, I like creating new things so and, and that's what excites me. And so the more I can... Hand, hand to people and let other people own and give them the, you know, control uh-huh. and autonomy, the more it frees me up to go and do more interesting and creative things that excites me, such as developing the festival, which obviously has developed as we've gone along, or creating or getting this, um, you know, 16th century cognac still installed at the <laughs> Apple Shed too. So, See, I love this. See, they're too oh, – okay – they're two massive ideas. They sound massive. A festival and a cognac distillery. Uh, you, you, a business owner, have managed to, sounds like, get off the tools, stop working in the business in order to work on the business and be, um, I'm going to say, scarily innovative. That, that's really inspiring stuff, Sammy. You mean it's clearly, uh, it sounds like it comes easy to you. Do you have a tip for those listening on how they could do a bit more of that in their business? Well, I think I really don't know, Tim, to be honest. I wish I did have a That's tip. because it comes naturally to you, mate, I think. But do you, do you understand the fact that there's a lot of business owners out there who can't let go? Yes, I totally understand that because I see it regularly in my, in my day-to-day dealings and I see that people do struggle to let go. And, and I look at it and I analyse it and I feel that a lot of it is about trust and... Um, and I, I just worry for those people because I don't think the business is getting giving them what they want. No. I think if they if they have an inherent distrust of uh, of people, then they're not going to be able to let go of anything, and then they're going to be constantly stuck on the tools. And if they can 
convince themselves to trust people and to trust the, that inherently I believe humans are great people are great mm. and that are honest and as the day is long. I mean, the society we live in would be very different if that wasn't the case. And uh, and so if you can convince yourself to trust and, and give a little bit each more each time, you'll find that you get more and more rewarded, I believe, as you give a little bit more away and give a bit more ownership and autonomy to the to your team because people want that. They want to feel like they can put their mark on things, I believe. I want to feel like they can own it and, and, and call it their own. Mate, that's, uh, that's, that's marketing gold right there, buddy. I, I've, I've see, heard you uh, a quote of yours, customers don't interact with a brand, they interact with people. So you've kind of, you're, you're living that, aren't you? It's like uh, people buy from people. And, and that's coming from a, a product-based business. Often I hear that service-based business, but people are everything, right? People are everything. I mean, you know, I, I think... In the early days when I was pounding the streets with Willie Smiths, um, convinced it was the best product in the world, and I still am convinced about that, um, you know, people would tell me a lot of the time that, you know, they knew it was the greatest product, but hmm. people are buying you. 50% of you is, uh, is what they're buying as well as um, the product. So you can have the greatest product in the world, but if you're not getting the relationship right, the other 50% isn't going to get, isn't going to happen and you're not going to get that sale over the line. So... I think that was a really good learning for me um, in my early days, pounding the street like that. Mm. Um, you know, it also gave me a lot more respect for the sales function, which I probably previously didn't have um, as much as I should have. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, I really just believe that, you know, in every transaction that, that the person comes into it, it, they have to come into it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're basically dealing with a big corporate and, um, and then it's, you know, then it's never it's not a fun transaction. Tell I us about that uh, lack of respect for the sales function. What what was that lack of respect, and and how did you overcome it? Well, by doing it, to be honest, I don't think yeah. you can actually really ever <laughs> understand it. But the lack of respect probably came from my um, traditional marketing background, where uh, you know sales and marketing would always be uh, yeah at, not at war, but you know like oh you guys should have done that. it's not working because you guys aren't doing this or the other way around you you guys should have done that because that's not working so. You know, it was just came from that adversarial, functional-based um, relationship that, that happens inside a corporate environment, really. It's ridiculous, it's isn't it? I mean, for sales and marketing not to be one – well, not one of the same. I, my, I would argue marketing's very good at generating inquiry and building brand and, and, and engagement. Sales is the conversion of that into, you know, into a business. But um, is, is that how you see it? Oh, I think the whole business has to be one, really, to be yeah. honest, and uh, and – you know, the production has to be as equally lined up with sales and marketing and, you know, and if, if everyone's off doing their own thing and, and fulfilling their own functional needs, then how's that actually going to end up focusing on what the end customer or consumer wants really at the end of the day? So, How does it look like at Willie Smith, Sam, and then in, in making sure everyone is on the same page? Is it an open plan office? Do you have a, a, a morning, you know, catch up? What's the way of bringing it all on to the same page? Uh, well, I mean... I guess you know this is where this is a challenge I'm now facing as we get a little bit bigger and we actually have um, people in specific roles um, in specific functions to do things. I guess previously when we started, it was Smithy and I doing everything, so yeah. that made it fairly easy to keep everyone on the same page. It was the two of us. But um, as we've grown, um, you know, it's just about building that sense of team and, and keeping everyone. Um, you know, feeling like uh, focused on what we're trying to achieve, I guess, as a business, I, I find is pretty important. Mm-hmm. But, you know, working with people who value each other's experience and, and skill set uh, and are happy to pick up the phone and have a chat to each other because we actually are located, you know, we've got a sales guy in Melbourne, a sales guy in um, in Sydney, we've got the apple shed and then the cider is down, you know, another kilometre down the road too. Mm-hmm. So we're not all in the same place. We're all scattered all over the place. Um so we do have to use, um, you know, a lot of, lot of phone calls, a lot of Skype calls, you know, monthly meetings, um, yeah. annual getaways um, to really make sure we were bringing that sense of team. And uh, the festival was, was fantastic, though. You know, we had all of us pitching in. didn't matter whether you're, uh, you know, in a marketing person or a salesperson or production or working in the apple shed, you know. At 6 a.m. on the morning of the festival after we'd had – wind and snow and tents ripped apart we were all there making sure this festival was going to happen and it was 
great way to unite everyone and, and bring yeah, a I sense can imagine. of team. I really want to explore the festival. First, just wrap some numbers around it for us. Where is Willie Smith's at as a brand? Um, uh, whatever numbers you're willing to share, annual turnover, staff, um, uh, you tell me. Yeah, sure. Well, I think um, the Australian cider market is, um, you know, around about 100 million litres. Um, we're about, you know, 0.2% of that. So um, we're a very, very small part of the Australian cider market. Um, you know, it's, it's our goal that we um, want to get to 1% of that uh, is, our, is our kind of short, medium to short-term goal yep. that we want to get to. And, um, and, you know, we want to start making a difference and helping people understand about, you know, Australian um, cider made from yep. Australian apples. Uh, we're, we've probably got about 30 people, 35 people, uh, about 20 full-time equivalents, I suppose, uh, with with half of that being at the cellar door and the apple shed. Obviously, hospitality is a big part of the business and uh, and you need and being a service part of the business, you need a lot of staff there as well. So, so that's kind of the scale of where we're at at the moment. Okay. Tell me, you made an interesting point before. You, you believe you're the best apple cider product in the world. Um, that's coming from a father <laughs> who Absolutely. loves his child dearly. Yep. Founder's syndrome, I think they call it. Well, okay. But obviously there's some very strong belief there. You've got 0.2% of the cider market. Your goal is 1%. Um, why not bigger? Should the best cider in the world be the most popular cider in the world? How are you going to, how do you know when you've really made it? Yeah, I, see, I don't believe the best cider in the world should be the most popular cider right. in the world. Um, so you're happy I, to stay small? Well, happy to stay the right size, I think, uh-huh. is probably the most important thing because um, I think we all know that the uh, probably, you know, if we think about what's the best uh, champagne in the world, I don't know what the best champagne is in the world, of the world is. I heard there's this one in France that does about 6 million bottles a year. Um, that's not the biggest, but it's the best. Uh-huh. And um and they don't. I mean, they they can't grow that much bigger. They're using their own estate um, grapes um, to make that champagne, and they want full control of the process end to end, like we do at Willie Smith's as well. Um, so that, I guess, to a certain extent, a limiting factor. And they're renowned as as the best best uh, champagne in the world. So uh, I think it's about right size for you. Um, so does that mean that then, Sam, that you then? I mean, that best champagne in the world of 6 million bottles, I'm guessing, is not cheap, right? So Correct. is therefore yeah. pricing a key strategy for you, uh, being a premium product? Oh, pricing is absolutely key um, for, a, for a number of reasons um, because obviously you need to make profit, otherwise you can't continue. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I'm pretty sure I know there's a few people out in the market who are pricing below cost or haven't worked it out yet, but they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's long-term, not sustainable, as you know. Mm-hmm. But it's also a really good indicator of quality. I mean, if you believe you're making... It's a, a weird product, indicator of quality. A weird? Yeah, yeah. In some sense, I always think pricing's fascinating because we, we, as humans, we kind of look at something that's expensive, or at least I do, and you kind of draw the conclusion that it must be very good. Not always yep. the case. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's true. Um, I mean, but at the same time, you've got to back yourself. If you believe you've got a great product, You've got to back yourself in the pricing as well. And, um, uh, and you know, we spent a long time talking about what the price was going to be uh, when we went to market and we were, you know, obviously nervous and freaking out about it. Um, but people have responded to it and, and people have appreciated that we are making a unique product with, that's very differentiated out there um, and people are willing to pay for it. So you are a premium cider, yeah? Like give us yeah, a kind absolutely. of – I had yep. no idea. What's a bottle of cider worth generally? Well, a four-pack of Willie Smith's will sell will retail for about uh, $24, I yeah, guess. Yeah, okay. It's up there. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, there's obviously the extreme on the other end, which probably I don't want to go into too much, the uh, imported Chinese concentrate ciders that sell Breathe, there. breathe, right, Sam. I've, I've Let gone, it out, mate. Sorry, Tim, I've gone into it. But the, the <laughs> ciders that, that use imported Chinese concentrate that obviously is cheap as chips um, that they sell, you know, a 10-pack for uh, for ten uh, for 20 bucks. So that's the, oh, that's the other end of the scale. That gets your blood boiling, doesn't it? Well, what gets my blood boiling, Tim, is the fact that there are labelling conventions don't exist out there so uh-huh. that people can't pick up a can and go, yes, that's using Chinese ingredients. Um and pick up our bottle and go, yes, that's using Australian ingredients and I can make an informed choice as a consumer. That gets my blood boiling. Too. So are we talking about some, some 
quite big brands doing this? Well, the majority of the market, Jeez. unfortunately. So, so what, what's interesting in talking to you in leading into this interview, one of the things that you've taken on, and I think this is very noble of you as, as, a, as a small business, is you are willing to help educate the category, the buyers and me, customers, about the difference between imported cider concentrate and drinking cider made from fresh local apples from Tasmania. Um, you know, that's, that's a tough job and it can be an expensive and time-consuming job, but you're willing to take it on. Yeah, I think uh, I am willing to take it on because uh, I guess what motivates me is, is bringing better quality drinking experiences to people. Uh, and, you know, we, so someone's got to take a stand. If, if it's not me, then who's – or it's not us, then who's going to do it? Have you tried to get other brands within the category to help you? Yeah, no, I mean, I'm president of Cider Australia, which uh-huh. is um, – yeah, so, you know, we're an um, association of cider producers um, from around Australia. We're all working together with the same goal here of trying to educate people about that. Um, and we've been lobbying the government hard on labelling laws um, – we're trying to work with um, Horticulture Innovation Australia to get a designation on pack for that signifies Australian apples. Um, we're, you know, we're, we're working on, on many fronts to try and make this happen. Mm. Um, but at the moment, we don't obviously have the budget to actually get out there and with a mass consumer campaign. So it mm. really is, you know, one sale at a time, one drink at a time, one festival at a time, one punter you're speaking to at a time. Good on you, mate. Well, I'm happy to spread the word because, um, yeah, massive difference between a bit of concentrate versus a few fresh apples. Now tell me this festival, you keep you, you keep teasing us with it. I know it, it was, it's a massive, like, marketing play for the Willie Smiths brand. So explain what it is. What's it called? What's involved? Well, it's the uh, Huon Valley Midwinter Festival. And um, I get, when we started Willie Smiths, we always wanted to um, – have a festival that uh, was about the apple. Back in the day, there was the, you know, apple festival at harvest time in the Huon Valley every year. It was all about uh, March every year. Um, and as the apple industry declined and lost relevance, um, the festival um, went by the wayside as well. Um, you know, part of what we're doing is trying to, you know, re reignite, I suppose, the apple aisle or, or at least bring that heritage and history back. Um, and so it was when I was travelling around France and the UK that I came across this um, ancient idea of wassailing, the old 12th night festival that they have uh, every year in, uh, in January. So just, uh, you know, midwinter after the winter solstice where they're, you know, celebrating um, the shortest day of the year and saying it's time to wake up the apple trees. Nice. And, uh, and scare away the evil spirits in the hope of a good harvest in the coming season. So it's an ancient pagan um, ritual or custom. And I thought, why can't we bring that into the Huon Valley? Because it really signifies what we're trying to do with this festival, which is wake up the Huon Valley during winter as well. And Beautiful. Let the world let the world know that the Huon Valley is open for business in winter as well because um, it's always a slow time of year for tourism in, in both Tasmania and, uh, and the Huon Valley. Um, so I thought it was a great analogy between waking up the apple trees and waking up the Huon Valley at the same time and getting people out and about and uh, as a community coming together during, uh, you know, that cold time of year. So so it's a great celebration of the apple and that's that's central to it. But we involve a lot of, um, you know, local other local businesses. I think we had about 25 other local um, beer, wine um, and food producers at the festival as well all showcasing the best of um, Huon Valley and Tasmanian produce. How do, you, how do you pull something together like this, Sam? It's a big idea. I'm guessing it's on the grounds of Willie Smith. That's right. It yeah. is. And, and actually our next-door neighbours, we, we talked to our <laughs> two next-door neighbours and, and work with them and they let us, um, you know, take over their properties. What do they do? Uh, well, the one north of us is uh, Tony O'Connell. He's a blue organic okay. blueberry farmer um, and so he's uh, got okay, the so property. Okay, so they're farmers. Yep, that's right. And, so you, uh, you knock there on their door, hey, listen, uh, we want to have a party, boys. Just Look, we're expecting 10 to 12, maybe 14,000 people. Are you in? Yeah, it wasn't 10 or 12 in the first year, thankfully, because uh, it's just grown actually exponentially. We really had no idea. It was. It started off as a as a nice idea. You know, I pitched it to uh, Events Tasmania, which is a government body there, and, and, you know, they were trying to – they're in the process of trying to get Tasmania alive at winter from a tourism perspective with um, Dark Mofo yeah, as course. it is. So pitched it to them. They said, yeah, we'll chuck in a bit of money. Um, we really had no idea what to expect. 
we pulled it together and uh, just were completely blown away by the mm. turnout. You know, we had four and a half thousand people come in the first year. Wow. Um, when we had just <laughs> never done anything like it before. Um, you know, we had pretty much had the highway shut down. Um, there were cars parked all over the place and we thought, oh, we better get a bit serious now. Mate, this could be the next Glastonbury. Well, we're going to, we call it Grovestonbury, Tim, actually. Oh, I so, love it. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, um, Have you been to Glastonbury? I haven't actually been. I've been very nearby. I went to a cider mill nearby while Glastonbury was on but just couldn't quite get there. So, oh, My sons and I have a bit of a turn on the bucket list in the next few years to do Glastonbury. So, okay, so when you're going, I'll join you. So. Sure, mate. More the merrier, I reckon. Um, sure. You have to wear a kilt, though. That's what we're going to – it's going to be a kind of kilt thing. I've got a bit well, of Scottish in me. Well, my name's – last name's Reid as well. I've got some Scottish heritage in <laughs> now. Correct. I can probably come at that. <laughs> so tell me, um, at, at the heart of the Huon Valley Midwinter Festival is – is, is there, there is obviously music. Is that what it's kind of all about? Well, the heart is this um, wassail of the apple trees, actually, where we had, um, you know, we, this year we had 65 Morris from around Australia and New Zealand, Morris dancers, leading us in uh, in a parade and procession. What's a Morris uh, dancer? A Morris dancer is someone who... Um, it's an ancient, uh, I guess... Uh, it's a bit wacky. Say no more. A, you answered it by wacky, not yes. answering I'm, it. I'm trying to think about how best <laughs> to explain it. But a bit wacky. They get dressed up, wear bells and tatters and there you go. Paint, paint their faces and... Say um, no more. Yeah. Dance around, yeah. And, and, okay, so that's at the heart of it. But now you, you have music now, right? Because like the one just gone, which was earlier this year, you had 14,000 people and there were bands playing? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's very much about, we call it feasting, folk dancing, um, storytelling, uh, you know, it's all of these ancient traditions and customs that go together really. So, so uh, is it more drink. like Burning Man? Well, on the Friday night we did have a Burning Man this year. Um, he was 10 metres high <laughs> and uh, we call him the Big Willie. So uh, <laughs> we lit him with, uh, with a flaming arrow uh, and this oh. is, I guess, the, the bit that I mean, just, just let people come up with their own ideas and contribute their own thing. We've got um, a guy at the Apple Shed called Dan, and it uh, turns out he made his own bows and arrows. Of and course. he thought he could light this um, big 10-metre-high burning man from that would sit in the middle of the dam with a flaming arrow. So who are we to try and say no? no so, not to Dan, um, the man. That's a brilliant a idea. festival now, so, yeah. That is brilliant. Wow. Yeah. Sam, you, you must look at this. I mean, you're an ideas guy. You must look at this stuff and... Was there a moment, let's say, at the festival just gone where you've looked back and gone, wow, look at this. This is cool. Yeah, I was probably too busy at this year's festival. Well, you're to too honest. pissed, but uh, too busy, that's good. <laughs> well, a little bit of that as well. But, <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I think um, I, I think it was probably, you know, the, my favourite part of the festival is actually on the uh, Sunday evening. We get together at the end, everyone who's who's been there, the whole Willie team, have a few ciders and have a chat and just celebrate what an amazing event we've put on for people and what we've done for the Huon Valley. And uh, and that's probably, you know, I think uh, Cara, you know, she talks about, you know, it's just full-on love there, um, real love coming out amongst the team and, and just, yeah. you know, really proud of, I guess, what we've achieved as a team and um, and how much fun we've provided for people, I suppose. So, so yeah, there is that and um, and that is actually my favourite part of the festival and has been every year. So The debrief. Tell yeah. me, I, 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 yeah, it sounds kind of a ridiculous question because there's a whole lot more to business than just the hard numbers, but that festival's done a lot for the Huon Valley. It's done a lot for the businesses within around the Huon Valley. There's 14,000, I'm guessing, locals and interstate people come and had a ball. What did it directly do for the Willie Smith's cider brand? Yeah, I think what it does for us, um, you know, in year one probably gave us a bit of credibility and said, okay, these guys are, are serious. Um, look at what they've achieved. Look at what they can do. Uh it doesn't directly do, um, I'd say, though, anything. What it indirectly does, though, is is lodge in people's heads an amazing experience that they will draw upon and talk about for at least the next year. Um, you know, the amazing time they've shared with friends. I mean, we make this festival quirky. It's You see stuff there that you won't see anywhere else. Well, uh, big 10-foot so, Willie with the well, Willie. that's right, big Willie. You know, you don't big see Willie. the big 10-metre Burning Man every day. <laughs> so we've tried to make it as quirky and unique and interesting and fun as we possibly can because we know that, well, we I don't. I believe traditional advertising is dead. Um, I believe that you've got to give people great experiences to remember your brand by it. There's Hallelujah. so much competition for space of share of mind uh, and share of memory. 
that you've got to do something big if you want to be memorable and we're all about trying to be memorable. So so I think there's that, you know, year of, uh, of memorability that people can look back on. Not everyone, probably some people don't remember exactly what happened, but... Um, <laughs> But, uh, but most people remember having a great time with friends and probably one of the best events of the year that they've got and, and it's something they really look forward to again for the next year. And, and I think that sets us up as a brand really well. You know, for, for we, The festival doesn't make us any money, but mm. what it does is, is just you know, say, wow, these guys are great. They've put on a great time. You know, I'm, I'm willing to kind of invest in them because they've invested in, my, in the valley. They've invested in putting something great on for us. And uh, and we we appreciate that. Okay, interesting, and I, and I totally agree with you. Traditional advertising. I'm not sure if it's dead, but it's certainly there's some other options that are available to business owners, large and small, um, that allow us to kind of not have to spend a whole lot of dough on back page ads or 30 second TV ads, which is a wonderful thing for all businesses, I believe. However, um, let's talk about just finishing that marketing discussion. You do these festivals, you've got a great brand locally. And as I said at the start, you've got a rousing applause at the Telstra Business Award the other week. Um, But I'm a buyer. Let's do a bit of a role play here, Sam. I'm a buyer uh, in New South Wales, so two states away for overseas listeners, who is responsible for stocking ciders in bottles shops up and down uh, the New South Wales and Queensland coast, right? Yeah. Um, I don't really care about your festival. You haven't got the budget. Willie Smith's having, I'm guessing, haven't got the budget to advertise. So I don't really, I haven't had a lot to do with your brand. How do you get him or her across the line? Oh, I think the proof really is in the pudding. Um, or the you know, for, for buyers, they'll see what's selling and what isn't selling um, in the stores. They can, they can see that. And but you've what, got to get it in the store. You've got to get it in the store, absolutely. And um, and I think you've got to choose the right time to go with big buyers and, and be in those big stores because it's, you know, putting a product on shelf that isn't going to sell isn't going to work for anyone. It doesn't matter what size advertising budget you've got. Uh, if you can't convince people to buy it, then you know there's no. You can throw all the advertising money you want at it, and it's still not going to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've, and we're about you know constant, I guess, growth, constant um, movement, and constant evolution of our product. We don't want to sit still, and we don't want to go and get mass ranging um, and sell a lot of product one year, and then find out it's not moving and get taken off shelf. So. We want to be in the right right places at the right time of for our brand, I guess. Okay. Um, but back back to your point, I suppose um, we're doing that by having these festivals. We did get ten percent of our festival goers were from the mainland this year. Um, they shared that experience. Um, they will take that experience yeah, back to them, yeah. back to the mainland with them. Go into their um, bottle shop. Hey, where's Willie Smith? Bottle shop, exactly. Um, and not only that, though, they'll be advocates for the brand. Um, we like to think we've built a fantastic community around our brand through the festival, through social media, through the events and other activities we do on the mainland as well. And, uh, and so we've really built a community of, of, I suppose, people who advocate for our brand because mm. they appreciate what we do and they, and they believe in it and they, and they love it. So, um, so yeah, for me, it, it, that's what it's really about, um, creating your um, evangelists, I suppose. We'd prefer to yep. invest you know, in focus on ten people and give them a great time, then spend focus on a thousand people and give them almost nothing. So, okay, great. So, so do you have evangelists around the country that you kind of tap into, whether it be a, a well-known person or someone who just you know madly spreads the Willie Smith word? And how do you manage them? I'd, I'd, we do have the evangelists, but whether or not we communicate them on, to them yeah, on a right. one-to-one basis isn't the case. I'd say we've got evangelists on, uh, you know, on social media. Um, you can nice. see them. Um, I can see them popping up and see them sharing with their friends and and educating their friends and bringing them along to events when we're uh, when we're doing something in, Love the, those in the state. So yeah, absolutely. But it's not like something I I know all their names and I can email <laughs> them and and you know reward them. But I think they should like you. To well, I think it's. Um, I think it'd be nice to be able to do that, but it's uh, we're not quite in that kind of one-to-one uh, space yet, unfortunately. It's probably the way the world will go, and I, I imagine well, it will go that way. Well, it's uh, not, again, I wouldn't say that's the be-all and end-all of a marketing strategy, but it would seem it, that's only going to that's an, a marketing play that's only going to get harder as you get bigger. 
you know. Yes, absolutely. Maybe, yeah. maybe you've although, got one. Of I the, think one-to-one data is actually going to get much stronger as we, um, you know, as we evolve, as as online evolves more and more. I mean, all the uh, guys at Facebook are all about that. Um, they're all trying to big data is is the future. I think mm. so, mate. I love it. What a great story. Uh, I look forward to seeing it unfold. You know, you kind of. Um, do you feel like you're at sort of day one of of a very long journey? Oh, I'd say we're day three. Day three. <laughs> oh. well, it's yeah, interesting I say yeah. that because um, Jeff Bezos of Amazon only a year or two ago said Amazon's still on day one, you know, and I think there's so much upside. We're going to see so much uh, growth in the way we market our businesses going forward thanks to technology and the way it allows us to disrupt and your ability to go one-on-one with customers. And great, mate. I think it's a, it's a wonderful brand that you've created and, and well done to you. No worries. Thanks very much. Um, really appreciate it. And Willie Smith's is a website address would be? www.willysmiths.com.au. That's W-I-L-L-I-E, smiths.com.au. Love Come it. and visit us in Tassie, guys. Correct. Tell them Timbo sent you. Thanks, Sam. Cheers, Tim. Well, there you go, team. Sam Reed, co-founder, Willie Smith's Cider. What a great story. Now, coming up, I've got my top 10 questions for starting interesting conversations, plus my top three attention grabbers from that fireside chat with Sam. But first, here's a word about a couple of businesses that want to help you build that beautiful business of yours into the empire it deserves to be. Support for this show comes from Web Central, who love building small businesses' websites that not only look great, but get you more customers. I asked Verity Ma, their Chief Marketing Officer, to share her top three business website must-haves that are simply non-negotiable. The three must-haves for an effective website, I think, starts with a clear call to action. So when you get a visitor to that website, what do you want them to do? Also, the website needs to be mobile-friendly because there's a huge growth in the number of visitors coming from their mobile, searching while they're out and about. And then finally, a professional design that reflects your brand. Because if you think about it, the first time that a potential client or customer interacts with your brand is on your website, they're going to have an immediate view of what your website does and whether you're trustworthy. Web Central, helping you build trust online fast. Check out webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo for exclusive listener offers. The Small Business Big Marketing Show is also grateful for the support of Aussie-owned business, designcrowd.com, the world's number one custom-designed marketplace where it's beautifully simple and cheap. I love cheap. To get a design you love, guaranteed. I asked founder Alec Lynch what problems Design Crowd solved for us small business owners. Buying design has traditionally been an expensive process, a slow process, and a risky process. Design Crowd's crowdsourcing solution fixes those problems. Designcrowd.com, a faster, cheaper, more creative way to get a custom logo, graphic, or print design for your business. For a special VIP offer that can save you up to $100 on your first design, visit designcrowd.com forward slash Timbo. Righto, my top three attention grabbers from a chat with Sam Reed of Willie Smith's Cider. Number one, I loved Sam's tip on how to attract and retain great staff, a challenge for all small business owners. Let people add themselves and their personality to your culture. That's what he said. Have them solve problems in their own way, in their own style. And it's incredibly empowering for them, he said. The bottom line, stop trying to micromanage everyone. And you might find they enjoy their job more and bring a lot more to the table each and every day. Attention grabber number two, free yourself up so you can create new things. I love Sam's passion for creativity and innovation. The festival wouldn't have happened if he hadn't created space between the day-to-day running of the business and time to think. Who's guilty of not doing that? Hands up. (laughs) I am. But when I do find time to sit and think or walk and think, it's bloody beautiful. So here's a couple of ways to create that time. Number one, be less controlling and trust that your staff will solve problems in their own way. And number two, offshore process-driven tasks. 
Identify all those tasks that are taking up your precious time and money and send them to places like the Philippines. We've covered this at length in past episodes, but if you want to cut to the chase, check out cornerstonebusinesssolutions.com.au. It's an offshoring business that I have an interest in because I believe in what they are doing is needed so much by businesses everywhere. And attention grabber number three following my chat with Will Smith. Well, it wasn't Will Smith. It was actually Sam Reed, wasn't it? We're all about being memorable, is what he said. Now, are you trying to be memorable in your business? And if not, why not? I'm guessing as a listener of this show, you're constantly looking for ways to stay on your customer's shopping list. And so you should be. Whether it be through offering an amazing customer experience like past guest Joshua Nichols of Platinum Electrics or breaking Guinness Book of World Records like past guest Arthur Greeno of Chick-fil-A or creating amazing stories that emotionally engage your customers like Dave Munson's doing from Saddleback Leather. There's no shortage of ways of being memorable. So just choose one and get on with it. So that's what grabbed my attention, team. What grabbed yours? I would love to know. Please take the time out. Hit pause right now. Head over to smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 325 and leave a comment in the blog post for this episode. And now it's time for my top 10 icebreaker questions for starting interesting conversations. Love a big opening. Now, uh, these are questions that get past the surface and help you to get to really know someone at a much deeper level than if you were to simply talk about the weather or what they did on the weekend. That's boring. So you can use them to start a conversation with a prospect, a new client, a new employee, a new supplier. Maybe even use them to start conversations with your business partner or existing staff members. You know, you'll often hear me ask an unexpected question at the top of of an interview, and I do this to settle my guest and create a smile up front right off the bat. And it always leads without fail to a much easier, comfortable, enjoyable conversation and interview. So here's my top 10 favorite questions. I'm sure there are many more, and I've actually created a blog post um, where I'm going to get you to add your own to it. Uh, I'll share that link at the end of this. Righto. Number one, what's the best job you've ever had? Well, I can tell you mine was a porter at a five-star hotel in Cairns. Opening doors, organising day trips for guests, carrying luggage into their room. I loved it. And every now and then I got to work behind the pool bar, which I loved even more. In fact, one day, between you and I, I got to serve a penthouse pet. (laughs) Oh, yes. Hello, Timbo. That is a story for another day, though. Uh, My next favourite question, these are not in order, but uh, question number two, what's on your bucket list? I've got a few things on mine. I don't have a formal bucket list, but um, I want to go to Glastonbury with my kids that wonderful rock festival in Scotland they have each year. Uh, I want to live in Italy uh, for six months each year with my beautiful wife. And I want to learn to play guitar. Oh, I'd love to be just like really proficient. Is that the word? In in any musical instrument, really, but in particular, uh, acoustic guitar. Number three, what's one habit you're trying to get rid of? Well, Between you and I, nail-biting is mine. I'm a shocking nail-biter. It's a disgusting habit, I know. But it's just one that I can't seem to kick. I can be a little bit of an anxious person. I think maybe that's got a little bit to do with it. Dunno. I've heard things like dip your fingers in the toilet bowl, then you'll never put them in your mouth again. Quite like that. Might try it. (laughs) Oh, boy. Told you this would get personal. Uh, Question number four. Who is your hero? Well... My cliche answer to that is my wife. She is my rock and uh, she's everything I'm not really. Thank God for her. Um, I love Jamie Oliver. Bit of a bromance going on with Jamie Oliver. He doesn't know it. It's a one-way street, but that's okay. And between you and I, 
I've always wanted to be a rock star. I, Michael Stipe and Michael Hutchins. So Michael Stipe from REM, Michael Hutchins uh, from NXS, the late Michael Hutchins. Always wanted to be both those guys. Slink around the stage, sing anthem-esque songs. Oh, I'd love it. Uh, number five, in terms of value for money, what's the best product you've ever bought? <laughs> well, one of those head massages for me. You know those ones that are sort of like the wiry little prongs that you just kind of push up and down on your head? That sounds wrong, but you know what I mean. Question six, what's the biggest animal you could knock out with one punch? Oh, this is an old favourite of mine. You would have heard a number of interviews I've done start with this. For me, having worked on a sheep farm for a few months in my early 20s, uh, I'm going to say sheep. Yeah. I reckon I could take a sheep out, no worries, just one good uppercut. Hello to all you vegetarians and animal lovers. I love animals. Got a dog, Mr. Charlie Bucket. I love him. Uh, Question number seven. If you were to die tomorrow, what little thing would you regret not doing? Well, for me to be telling those who are close to me just how much I love them or respect them and or respect them. I don't think we do that enough and... um, it's a beautiful thing. I tell my kids I love them all the time. I go, oh, yeah, whatever, Dad. Next. A bit harsh, but fair, I suppose. Uh, icebreaker question number eight. What freaks you out? For me, it's heights. Like, sometimes I'm okay with heights, but when I'm confronted with serious heights, I freak out a little bit. You've seen those extreme videos on YouTube um, where the guys, I think they're generally from, like, Russia, They climb like massive skyscrapers and stand on the top of the antenna of an incredibly tall building or crane or whatever. Um, I'll put one in the blog post for these questions over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash 325. You'll see what I mean. I actually can't watch those videos till the end, hey? You're getting to know me, aren't you, hey? Uh, Icebreaker question number nine. What did you want to be when you grew up? For me, it was a cameraman. I wanted to be a cameraman at a TV station. One of our great family friends uh, was a very famous newsreader in Australia, and I used to go in and watch him read the news, and uh, I don't know, I always wanted to be the cameraman. Uh, And number 10, what is something you hate doing? Well, for me, it's unpacking the dishwasher. I don't mind stacking the dishwasher. In fact, I love stacking the dishwasher. I don't think anyone stacks the dishwasher better than me, right? But unpacking it, I'm not such a fan of. So uh, there you go. 10 icebreaker questions to get interesting conversations started. We all want to... Oh, get it out, Tim. But we all want to have an interesting conversation, right? And I'd also, I want to know what would you add to that list, you know, I've gone and put these 10 questions into a blog post over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com forward slash icebreakers. And in the comments section, you can add your own question or two or three. I'd love to see them. So head over and add your question in the comments section right now. Well, that almost wraps up another episode of the Small Business Big Marketing Show. Got a great interview for you next week. We meet a podiatrist who was run off his feet. <laughs> See what I did there? Run off, run off his feet, podiatrist? Hashtag dad joke. He was booked four months in advance and seeing patients at midnight. He's now completely turned his business around. It's making more money than ever. And he had to cancel a round of golf for the interview. Hey, shows you what kind of a life he's living now. If you love this show, then go and pay it forward by letting another business owner know about it. One who could do with a bit of marketing love, because there's plenty more where this came from. You know, I chat with all sorts of incredible business owners on this show who reveal some amazing marketing insights that have helped them build a business they love. From celebrity personal trainer, Michelle Bridges, to the creator of the world's most viral marketing videos, to past getaway host and now social media entrepreneur, Jules Lund. Here he is sharing his obsession with social media. I'm obsessive, so if I'm going to go into Instagram, I see that I'm sort of either full on or full off. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, funnily enough, social media takes me away from family time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, ah, 
Here we go. Yeah. We're back to the... Uh... We are, the million-dollar question. Mm. But, um, yeah, it, it, and that those years that I built the Fifi and Jules social accounts came at a cost of my family, mm. you mm. know. Wow. And, it's a big call. Yeah, you know, it does. It, it really does, and I think... This might be further fuel for my fire. What do yeah. you mean came at the cost of your family? Like the amount of time that you were distracted by peering into that screen trying to build yeah, traction with... Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, chasing the dragon. Hey? Trying to get that organic reach. I think that's a kind of comment about heroin. Not yeah, it is. <laughs> that's what I mean. But social media is like a drug because it gives you that instant fix. Yeah. Again, you know. Yeah, yeah. Back on my soapbox. No, no, but it, it, it definitely does. And, look, you know, there would be surveys around the world that would would demonstrate um, that it is an addiction. Mm. Um, and that's why with Snapchat, Snapchat's going to be monstrous this year. And you know, Oh, gonna... that bloody social media. You can hear my full interview with Julesy, plus hundreds more over at smallbusinessbigmarketing.com, or you can subscribe free on iTunes, and I would love you to do that. Then you'll never miss another episode. It will go directly to your device, your smart device. Be sure to check out designcrowd.com forward slash Timbo. They're an ideal way to get any marketing materials designed for that beautiful business of yours. Plus, there's an exclusive listener offer waiting for you. Speaking of ideal, visit webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo if you'd like a custom-built website and one that gets managed for you on a monthly basis. Got to love that. Or maybe you just like your current one brought into the 21st century. Webcentral.com.au forward slash Timbo. Until next week, I'm Timbo Reid. Thanks a million for listening to the Small Business Big Marketing Show. May your marketing be the best marketing. Bye for now.